Bhagavanan. Welcome to Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I want to kind of work backwards a little bit. I've covered a lot about the Lord of the Rings, but now I want to actually talk about The Hobbit a bit. Part of the reason I haven't done that is because one of the things I really want to do is talk about the really bad things that happened in the Hobbit movies that came out not too long ago, and it's such a depressing topic. Uh, but in this particular video, I want to lay the groundwork for that and talk about how The Hobbit is significantly different from the Lord of the Rings in style, tone, that sort of thing, and yet how it's also still connected to Tolkien's greater world, kind of despite his not really trying to do that. Uh, so basically I'm going to be talking about kind of how The Hobbit fits into the greater world even before he explicitly connects it into the Lord of the Rings, and how it's, you know, just in terms of narrative, a very different type of story and a little bit of the background as to why that is. So let's go ahead and get started. Of course, one of the first things you notice reading The Hobbit and comparing it to The Lord of the Rings is that The Hobbit is very much more geared to a younger audience. It's a lot less adult in the sense that it's easier to read, although some people still think even The Hobbit's harder to read. I mean, Tolkien wrote it back in the you know early part of the 20th century, so it's it's not... You know, the language has changed so much by now that it's it's still a little bit hard for some people to read, but it's obviously much more geared toward children, especially in terms of the themes and the content and whatnot. There's nothing nearly as dark as there is in The Lord of the Ring or The Silmarillion. But the reason, of course, for that is that he originally wrote it kind of in a serial form for his children. He was telling his children stories about Bilbo Baggins the Hobbit, and he eventually wrote it all down. Somebody got in possession of a copy of it and recommended it to uh, Unwin and Allen, or is it Allen and Unwin? I can't remember. I get it confused. Uh, the publisher who ended up publishing The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and that's how he ended up getting it published as an actual novel. It started, of course, just as a story for his children, and because of the way he did it, the narrative style is very different than The Lord of the Rings or The Silmarillion. The Silmarillion is very much kind of a historical fiction, kind of, in, a, in the sense that it's written very much in a style that is less in the moment and a lot more, I guess, just kind of a, you, you're getting the sense that you're reading about things that are, that really happened a long time ago in kind of a short, condensed fashion without tons of detail. Lord of the Rings has a ton of detail, is much more in the moment, you're seeing it from the perspective of characters as opposed to reading it as if from a history book. The Hobbit is also very much in the moment, but is and is detailed to a degree, but it's also a lot more, well, because of the way it was told in a serial fashion, it's a lot more episodic. It's not like the Lord of the Rings where you have kind of just a progression, although even in the Lord of the Rings some of the earlier chapters are a bit episodic. The Hobbit is that way throughout, so it turns out to be a very different kind of storytelling in the sense that basically every chapter is kind of its own self-contained adventure. Not that you could read each one by itself, but that you know each chapter, when you read it, you get kind of a complete thing, whereas in The Lord of the Rings, you get, you know, things happen at the end of chapters that basically force you to read the next one because you're kind of missing the story if you don't read more. So that's one major difference between The Hobbit and his other fiction that makes for a different type of storytelling. The other, of course, is the fact that he wrote it for his children 
means that it's a different style, not only in terms of simpler language and easier to understand, but also in terms of kind of the humor, the the level of the the themes that go on in the book and, and that sort of thing. It's a lot simpler and more, uh, I don't want to say dumbed down, but not as complex and nuanced as, say, The Lord of the Rings or The Silmarillion is. And so you get a lot of things that are... <sighs> I have a hard time putting it into words, but basically the idea that, you know, you have some very important themes and, and moral points in The Hobbit, but they tend to be a little more obvious than in The Lord of the Rings, say. I mean, in The Lord of the Rings, you'll have things that, you know, you can read it over and over again, and every time you read it, you kind of catch something new that you didn't really catch the first time. But The Hobbit, once you read it, when you have kind of a you know, as long as you're a mature enough mind, you'll probably catch most of the important points the first time through, or maybe the second time through. But certainly you don't need to reread it over and over again to catch different aspects of what Tolkien's thinking in the back of his mind. So those are some major differences between The Hobbit and his other Middle-earth fiction that really relate to how the story gets told in a different way. Now let me kind of connect it to how it is connected to his broader world and why he didn't necessarily intend that, but just kind of how it happened. By the time Tolkien started writing The Hobbit, or telling it as a story, uh, he had already written a good deal of what would become The Silmarillion. He wrote The Silmarillion, or The Lost Tales as he was calling it then, uh, back when he was in the military in World War One, and in, in that phase of his life, which was before he had children. So this came later. So he already had a huge backdrop of, you know, what Middle-earth was, what, you know, the, the greater cosmos of, of that world was, and The Hobbit just kind of fell into it. It wasn't intentional. He just kind of started writing the story, and as he wrote it, it just kind of naturally fit itself into that world. Now, you can tell to a certain extent that it's it's kind of self-contained because if you didn't have Lord of the Rings and you only had it to compare to the Silmarillion, there's really almost no connection. The only real connection is Elrond at that point. And Elrond, in, in, in the early versions of the Silmarillion, might not have even been present. I have to go back. I'm actually working through reading the Lost Tales again to refresh my memory of the early stuff, but I can't remember if Elrond is specifically in there or not. But I think it, you know, one way or the other, Elrond does become a connection, of course. The uh, other thing is you couldn't tell from the geography that this is in Middle-earth. I mean, there's just really no way. I mean, if you look at the Hobbit map, it's pretty simple. They just travel in a straight line east from Hobbiton to the Misty Mountains, pretty much. And, I mean, not the Misty Mountains, but the Lonely Mountain through the Misty Mountains. And there's really not a whole lot of geography there to make it identifiable as any particular location. And you can't really tell from anything on the map that it's really related to his Silmarillion lore. The main thing that you would get, really, apart from any of that, is just the dwarves. Because he does have dwarves in the Silmarillion material, and they do play similar types of roles. And it's been a while since I read The Hobbit, but they might even refer to um, Thorin and his, his dwarves as Durin's folk, which, of course, Durin is one of the original dwarves that walked 
Middle Earth. So there there would be a connection there. I just can't remember if they specifically use if he specifically uses that term in the Hobbit. Um, and then of course there's the necromancer. The necromancer of course later becomes Sauron, who has the One Ring in the Lord of the Rings. But at the time, he was really more just a an excuse to get Gandalf out of you know the company of the dwarves so that they could have their own adventures and do their own thing without having a wizard with them the entire time. Of course, he later kind of retcons some of that into the Lord of the Rings to make it fit a little better into his actual narrative. But the idea is, you know, the Necromancer was originally not planned to be some major figure in Middle Earth. So there's a lot of connections going on there. And of course, Sauron, or by earlier names, the same character, was already present in the Silmarillion as well. So there's, there's a lot of kind of sort of connections and almost connections that are there, but they're not really explicit, and some of them don't become real connections until he turns them into those connections in The Lord of the Rings. So it's interesting how all that plays out, but that kind of is the background as far as the connections between The Hobbit and the Silmarillion. So why does all this really matter? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of doing this video as kind of a groundwork for the video on why the Hobbit movies are basically terrible. Uh, and, and part of the reason for that is Peter Jackson, who kind of admittedly said he was uh, didn't know what he was doing when filming The Hobbit because he didn't really have time to plan, it's like he kind of runs with the more childlike elements of The Hobbit it just makes them really, really extreme and then kind of takes the heart out of the story and plays up too much of the connection with the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings, especially the Lord of the Rings mainly. But it's understandable to an extent why he plays up the connection with the Lord of the Rings because you do have that connection and the Lord of the Rings movies were made first so it doesn't hurt a whole lot to go back and retcon, but it expands the movie a lot, adds a ton of serious material, which when compared to some of the other just downright silliness that goes on in the movies is just, it doesn't mesh well. The other thing is, it's interesting because Tolkien actually later said in his letters that he kind of regrets some of the more childlike elements of The Hobbit because he actually found that a lot of readers, even young readers, uh, would have rather it been a little higher level, which you know, kind of makes sense because anybody reading that type of fantasy is probably looking for something a little more like Lord of the Rings anyway. And he kind of later came to the realization, you know, I couldn't, I shouldn't have tried to go down to their level. And he kind of talks about the same thing in his book, in his uh, essay rather, on fairy stories, where he also says that, you know, we treat fairy stories and fairy tales these days as things that are for children, but they're not necessarily and the fact that we dumb them all down to that level is bad. And so he kind of connects that to, uh, I don't know if he explicitly connects it, but you can very much see the same thought process going on. He's thinking the same thing about The Hobbit, where, you know, he's like, you know, I've already written this huge amount of Silmarillion material that is very adult, but also very fairy tale-ish. It didn't have to be dumbed down for The Hobbit, it could have been still written as a much more advanced type of work. So that that's just an interesting side note, but the main point is, as far as the groundwork for the next video I'm going to do, it's, it's really interesting to see how 
in The Hobbit, some of the childlike elements get taken to extremes, and yet then it gets contrasted with some really serious elements that Peter Jackson brings in that aren't part of the original Hobbit story. So that's kind of why I'm doing this video is just to kind of set up that backdrop because that plays a large role. It's not the only thing that's wrong with the Hobbit movies, but it, it's kind of important to know that in advance because otherwise I'd have to explain all this in the other video and then it would be like two videos worth of material in one and that's going to be a little too long. Anyway, that's why I've done this video. Stay tuned for the next one where I'm going to explain why the Hobbit movies are basically terrible. Uh, and I actually went back and re-watched them, the extended editions, uh, a second time recently just to try to give myself a, a fresh view of it. And I came away with the idea that, yeah, they're still pretty awful, uh, which is unfortunate. But, you know, what can you do at this point? Anyway, that'll do it for this video. So that's a little background on The Hobbit as written by uh, Tolkien, and hopefully that'll give a little more information as far as preparing for my next video, which I will link to once I get it up in the notes below. Um, I'll also link to the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, and I mentioned something else. I will remember to link to that as well, whatever it was, uh, in the notes below, just to kind of round it out. But um, if you like the video, please give it a like and subscribe to the channel if you want to learn more about Tolkien, his works, and not just Middle Earth, but also he's got academic stuff. He's got other fiction that he wrote that wasn't Middle Earth related. I'm going to get all of it eventually. Uh, and also, if you want to follow me at, on Twitter, you can get me at JRRT Lore. Until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Goodbye.